Welcome to the Road Trip Show here with Dietrich van Hoff and the Road Trip app. And he's got some exciting news uh, uh, with the Road Trip app, some extras that's going to be added on. So, Dietrich, I'm going to give it over to you. Yeah, how's it, Devon? It's been a couple of weeks since we've had one, and uh, I think we were all pushing to have another couple of podcasts done. But there's a lot of activity. Uh, tourism definitely seems to be picking up again. Department of Tourism is starting to report hotel occupancies again, which we haven't seen for a while. I think they were too embarrassed to post them, but that seems to be um, uh, coming coming on. And a couple of interesting things with road trip. Um, I've got three authors who've decided that they want to, I don't know, put their books on electronic media, which is yeah. very, very cool. So the guidebooks and stuff. And one of them is a, Gentleman, my name is Simon Green, historian of the Anglo-Boer War, who's written a book called The Anglo-Boer War Blockhouses, A Field Guide. And uh, yeah. basically, I've taken all the locations on his book with some photographs and added all the locations onto the road trip app so that you can go and find these places because a lot of them are hidden around the corners and are ruins, literally, you know, a couple of bricks high, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, now we've got the exact GPS coordinates and road trip. The Apple firewalls will take you straight there. And we've got 60 or 65 or 70 something lockhouses now, um, located and listed on the road trip app. And it was actually a very, very interesting exercise when you start reading some of the descriptions of the blockhouses. Because you drive a couple of them are easily visible. There's that one as you go down the highway south towards Alberton, (coughs) south of Joburg, there's one. At the Petra Port, if you go on the N1 down to Cape Town, there's a couple that you see. Leo Hamke's got one. There's one just outside of, um, well, I think it's Colesburg or somewhere down that, that part of the world, right next to the highway. And very few people realize exactly what they were and how big yeah. the operation was. And it was, it was, I mean, these are 50 or 60 of the blockhouses that still remain. And that you can actually go look at some of them are pretty, pretty well restored and you can go inside and walk up the stairs and go onto the little platforms and look out the little shooting ports and stuff like that. But we don't realize how big these things were. And sort of in those descriptions, you read that this is the only one remaining of a line of 600 blockhouses. 600 in one line. And each one of these blockhouses will garrison a 10 or 15 men in it, et cetera, et cetera, to try and stop the Boers moving around during the Anglo-Boer War. And if you start doing the maths and you start thinking of the manpower and the logistics and stuff of building them, manning them, keeping the guys fed and watered in those blockhouses, the mind boggles. Yeah, it does. And all these little blockhouses, you know, there's like, like one or two around the towns, and we actually meet one or two of them today in um, Alawal North, and they would put six or seven around the town to help secure the town. Then they'd have a yeah. couple at the railway bridge of the railway that came into town to stop the Boers blowing up the railway line and this kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, it, it was a very, very interesting exercise to put all of those all of those ones on, and it made me realize the scale of that operation. That was something I'd never quite got my head around, but all of those locations are on the app. Then another gentleman by the name of Mr. Dean Allen, um, also a well-known historian and prolific podcaster and YouTuber, et cetera, et cetera, has written a couple of books on um, 
the Eastern Cape in the frontier region. region. Yeah. And uh, he's got two books called Frontier Land, Frontier Land Volume 1 and Frontier Land Volume 2. And I'm busy with that project at the moment, putting all his locations onto the app as well. Yeah. So, that's awesome. Uh, that's also very, very cool because a lot of those, those Eastern Cape towns and we, we're going into the Eastern Cape today. And, um, that's sort of start, starting, starting to happen. And the Eastern Cape is frontier settlement areas, lots and lots of wars, hundred years of war to the origin of the great trek, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, some really interesting stuff coming out of that one as well. Which and I, I've only got to halfway through the first volume, and we've been busy with putting all the locations onto it there as well. So that's that's an interesting exercise. And then I was contacted by a gentleman by the name of Marius Skippers, who's also written um, some books on the border wall. Yeah, and that again is one of those bits of history that sort of swept under the carpet and sort of not spoken about, and. We're going to put the locations up in northern Namibia, stroke southern Angola, of all the major battles that were fought during that border war conflict. Yeah. So that's also going to be a very, very interesting exercise. And uh, you'll start going on. Completed the Eastern Cape. We'll go up to Namibia and uh, Angola and start adding those spots. So it's really cool. I mean, and those guys are all looking at the app and they're all promoting the app and they're realizing the value of it. And, yes. uh, obviously, it's a lot easier for an author to give me 20, 30, 40 spots than create his own app for an incredible, stupid amount of money. So, very, very cool. So, I'm excited. There's, uh, there's things, yeah. uh, there's, a, there's some good things happening on, on the road trip front. Yeah, it's opening up a whole new, like, chapter, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, chapter, funny, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it is, it is very, very cool. And it's, it's nice to know that sort of the word is going out there and people are seeing the value of what you're doing. Cause one of the gentlemen actually said to me that it is so nice that he downloaded the app and he's on a little trip to the Kruger Park on it for his family at the moment. And he yeah. said, no one else is doing it. And you're actually preserving the history and showing the history and, and in no, no other format exists on the, Besides the way we're doing it on this little app. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you can have guidebooks and history books and you can pack your car full of volumes of stuff, but you're not going to find the spots as it were. You know, you can't open the book and sort of go through the book and say, Oh, yeah, here's a little thing in this little town. Whereas on an yeah. map like we've got, it shows you straight away. Yes. But yeah. So as I figured today, um, I think last, last, the very, very last podcast we did was um the the N the N five I think it was wasn't it? I think it was the N five that we did last time. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think it was the N five. <laughs> it was a while back. <laughs> <laughs> we also did some on the Kruger Park and that kind of stuff. So I actually thought yeah. today what we do is the N six. Yes. Uh, the N six is like kind of kind of like an unknown road, but it's the road that runs south out of Bloemfontein and winds up down in East London. And uh, Bloemfontein, obviously, the new name is Man- Mangaung. We are cross. And we're not going to, we're not going to, I keep on threatening to do the towns themselves as, as their own 
as their own podcast. Because if you go into Bloemfontein, I mean, as you enlarge the map of Bloemfontein, just more and more and more and more and more spots keep on coming up. And I think Bloemfontein yeah. will probably hold two, it'll be two or three podcasts on its own. Um, but this one actually starts, the N6 officially starts just south of, of Mangaung as you, as you exit it. The, the N6 starts on the intersection of the N6 and the M30. But if you come yeah. out of the city center, you actually come down the extension of the M30. And once you out of the main, main, main drag, as it were, the first little spot, strangely enough, is a replica of the Eiffel Tower. We've actually got a replica oh. of the Eiffel Tower in Bloemfontein. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a kind of a bit jarring to have a look at this. You go, yeah, what, what am I looking at? That was built, yeah. in, the, it was built in the 1964 uh, uh, by the by the manager of a construction company. It's a, it's and it's a one in ten replica. Uh, yeah. Of the Eiffel Tower, but uh, yeah, what can I say? You got a you got a, a little Eiffel Tower there, and it's got a little lightning conductor on the stop. And uh, I mean, the guy a guy eventually managed to get the local fire brigade involved with their long ladders to help them build it. An army helicopter came along and put the top section in. <laughs> in <place> okay, <laughs> it was completed in 1968, but it's just something slightly you- different to look out for as you. Heading south yeah. out of Bloemfontein. And it's actually pretty close to sort of my favorite spots, all the favorite spots. I say, you know, the, the Froa Monument and the uh, Anglo Boer War Museum in Bloemfontein. Oh, yes, we've touched, yes. We've touched on those. It's very close to that part of Bloom. Yeah. Do you know how tall it is? It's one in 10. So let's have a look here. Total height is just over 45 meters. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's a sign of well, that's nine stories. There's nine or ten stories, if not slightly more. Yeah. So it's the size of yes. it. So it's a decent size structure. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, the N the yes. N six sort of runs runs par- almost parallel to the N one for for quite a distance, and uh, you go mm-hmm. past. Remember, I don't know if you remember President Stain's little spot there on the wrist, where they had the yes. story, story of the little two the little two cent coin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Runs just on the yeah. other side of that and as you're heading out south. And I mean, and it's, it goes over flat nothing. I mean, that part of the free state is millies and sunflowers and, and nothing else. Yeah. But then you get to your, your first little town outside there called Redders, Reddersburg. Reddersburg. Okay. Reddersburg. Reddersburg. <coughs> Typical little, um, free state town. And a couple of little interesting spots in there. One, what they call the historic syringa tree. Oh, yes. And the syringa tree in Reddersburg was, was cultivated off a cutting that came off the original syringa tree in Rustenburg, where the Reformere Kerk was established. So oh, the yes. Reformere Kerk was established in Rustenburg, and they took a cutting off that tree where these guys stood, stood stood underneath this tree and decided to create this new church. And they took a cutting and took it all the way down to Harrisburg and planted it there and started a new, and put a new tree down there. And, um, and the, 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 the cutting was, was planted during the centenary celebrations of the church there in 1959. Okay. So I think that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, that is cool. Red, Redisburg is one of, 
considered to be sort of one of the historic towns where this specific church and denomination actually developed, the Gereformeerde Kerk. And the other town yeah. is centralized around that particular denomination, Rustenburg, Potsch, and uh, Burgersdorp in the Eastern Cape. They seem to be the centers of the Gereformeerde Kerk. Yeah. You've got a little museum in there. Guess for what? For the Gereformeerde Kerk. Um, and <laughs> And it's called the That's post, a new one. Postmas, Postmas Saal. Saal as in like, like all. Because okay. it was named after the Reverend Dirk Postma. He was the first minister of the church that actually started in Rustenburg. Yeah. So that's a little spot you've got. Um, and we again, we've got Gerard Moerdijk, who actually oh, built yes. the, the, the Gereformeerde Kerk. It's the oldest Gereformeerde congregation in the Free State. And yes, but Murdaik was busy. No, Murdaik was a very... That was Murbiasak. But again, the architecture of that church is just stunning. It's worth just stopping there just to just to enjoy the proportions and, um, you know, just the beauty of that church. But just yeah. an interesting little aside is that that church actually... Um, Eventually, fought, was the founding church of another nine congregations dotted around the Free State. Okay. You've obviously got the, um, the Anglo-Boer War Monument in the middle of town. You've got a 1938 uh, Great Trek Centenary Monument. Oh, yes. In town. And this is one of the few places, though, that's also got a 1988 commemoration plaque. We haven't hit a lot of those around the country. And by, okay. by 1938 was the centenary of the Great Trek. But uh, 1988 is 150th anniversary. And by 1988, I think with the politics in the country and sort of, the, you know, sort of where we were as a country, I don't think that it received as much uh, yeah. traction as it should have, let's put it that way. So there's yes. not a lot of the 1988 commemoration plaques around. But... Uh, Riddersburg just happens happens to be one of the little spots that has has that, and that's of course yeah. on the in the center of town. You got a 1961 Republic Monument, and that's one that we also don't see that often. And you know, 90s Republic was declared on the th- on the 31st of May 1961 with Dr. Hendrik Verwurt as the Prime Minister. And uh, C.R. Swart as the first state president. And I, I think because of Favurt and his policies, that's that are kind of yeah. kept quiet. No one, it's one of those things that we don't really um, talk about. What I, always yeah. find, what I always find so fascinating and so interesting about these little bits of history is the 31st of May is one of those days that is sort of one of those landmark or one of those spots in history because that's also the day that the Treaty of Verenigung was signed to end to end the Anglo-Boer War. Yeah. The 31st of May, the Treaty of Verenigung is signed to have the British take over. And it, it always sort of strikes me as a bit of an up yours by the Afrikaners to take it back on exactly the same day that they lost it. <laughs> <laughs> that's well put. <laughs> you know, there's that, that has to have been planned. That's not a, that, that, that cannot be, uh, 
be be an accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my soul. Um, there's a, there's also the centenary monument in that same little square, uh, centenary of the actual town. And Redersburg, which for those people that, that are not speaking Afrikaans, Redersburg actually means Saviour's Town. And oh, uh, yes. initially just a, it was actually a, a church town. <laughs> and this area was actually where General C.R. De Vitt actually beat the Royal Irish Rifles during the Anglo-Boer War. So it's one of the sites of one of the British um, defeats during the Anglo-Boer okay. War. So, so Christian De Vitt has got a Bit of a footprint there. And because of that, Christian de Vett, or C.R. de Vett, actually got a, a memorial dedicated to him standing right yes. next to it. Now, it's also an, also one of these, one of these, one of these interesting, interesting characters. You know, he, he was a general during the Anglo World War. He was a general in the Free State Forces. He was born 1854 in Smithfield, but then moved around. And he actually fought to the Transvaal at the Battle of Majuba in the first Anglo-Boer War. Okay. Which is an interesting, interesting little, little aside there as well. He served yeah. as a full-on member of the Fox route of the Free State. And during the Anglo-Boer War of 1899 he started as a member a member of a commando, just a lowly rifleman member of the commando. He rose to the rank of general during the war, and he ended the war as the acting president of the Orange Free State. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's quite a rocket drive. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, after the war, he continued to serve in the Fox Rout. He continued serving the Orange Ribbon Colony. He was a minister of agriculture, uh, agriculture for a while. But he was also one of those one of the characters that um, took part in the rebellion of 1914. Now we've touched on that rebellion once or twice before. Yeah, where you know, 1899, 1902, Anglo-Boer War, Britain takes over. A lot of the Afrikaners they were basically forced into a surrender. It never really yeah. sat very well with them again to be under the domination of the of the British, and now suddenly, nineteen fourteen, because we a British colony, we now expected to go fight on the side of the British against the Germans. Yeah, so obviously that created an awful lot of unhappiness, and there was a mini rebellion in yeah. South Africa because a lot of the a lot of the Afrikaners at that stage thought that they should rather be fighting on the side of Dem- Germany to give the British a hiding again. Yeah, and, uh, nothing to do with the actual <laughs> ideologies involved. They just wanted to go and donor the Englishman. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, he was uh, he was he was captured at the end during during the rebellion. He actually got a a sentencing of some prison time and some fines and stuff. But he actually only served a year. So, you know, after the rebellion, I think justice in inverted commas was served, but it was sort of very lenient. It was sort of a bit of show. More than yeah. anything else. Little slap on the wrist and naughty, naughty, don't do it again and we'll quietly let you out. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You've got such a way with words. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So David, it was again just an interesting one of these interesting characters that you bump into as you're doing this history around the country. 
And then another another little spot that we don't see a lot of is um, there's an Afrikaans language festival commemoration plaque. And that oh. was held in 1975. Now, we've, we've touched on the Tal Monument down in Paal and the history of Afrikaans. Yes. I think that was one of our first podcasts, which we actually did full on in Afrikaans. Maybe we might have to do that one in English. I might have to look yeah. into it and, and actually do it in English for our international listeners. Yes. But, um, in 1975, Afrikaans was officially 50 years old as an efficient language. And it was actually a hundred years since the establishment of that organization called the Genootskap van Rechter Afrikaners and translated the Association of True Afrikaners. You know, so yeah. in 1925, that Afrikaans was officially recognized <coughs> as an official language in South Africa. Yeah. So those are the language festival monuments are kind of, kind of few and, few and far between in the country. Yeah. Redisburg is one of those spots that actually has one. But now if we continue continue down the N6, now, now is when it actually parts ways um, with the N1. I actually always wonder why they bothered making that N1, the, the N6, all the way down to Redisburg. It would be easier just to, cut, to to carry on down the N1 and then just move slightly off to the east. Uh, yeah. The two roads run. <laughs> they, they, kind, they kind of run almost in uh, kind of kind of parallel to each other. But you then yeah. get into a little town called Smithfield. Oh, yes, I've heard of that one. Smithfield, Smithfield. And uh, there's, a, there's a pretty little museum in there called the Caledon River Museum. And it's just a, one of these very general little sort of lo- local museums. And uh, a couple of interesting, interesting characters. President Josias Hoffman, the first president of the Free State, a bit of his life is put in there. So Harry Smith. And oh, you, normally, yeah. you normally associate Harry Smith on the end, on the end three with, 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 with Sir Harry. But Smithfield yeah. is also named after Sir Harry Smith. Okay. And as well as, um, General J.B.M. Herzog, Christian De Vett, President Jim Fushier, all of those guys are depicted in this little museum. So it's really worth, worth popping in there. But another, Interesting little artifact they've got there is another is a little cannon, a little cannon called Ogriki. Not Griki, this is Ogriki. Ogriki, okay. Now we've met Griki before. <laughs> I don't know if you remember Griki. Yeah. Griki, the one from Blood River. Yes, that's oh, the one. Yeah. the Blood River Griki is sitting in the Fort Tricker Monument. But this one is um Ogriki. And this one was used in what was called in what eventually we were called the um the Basutu Wars. Mid mid okay. mid mid nineteenth century, there's a lot of drama with the Basutus and uh, you know land claims and cattle stealing and that kind of stuff. And a couple of wars were fought between the Free State and the Basutus. But the Khriki, the cannon, is uh, sitting in there. And there's also there's an interesting Anglo-Boer War monument in Smithfield because it's. Um, is one of the only monuments or Anglo-Boer War monuments that I know of where the panels are written in Dutch and not in Afrikaans or English. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. So that's just a little interesting aside, and there's no sort of real official explanation for it as it, as, as it were. But it kind of indicates that it must have been, that, that monument must have been erected right after, right after the war. Yeah, yeah. 
before Afrikaans has sort of taken over and how, who knows, maybe by the original Dutch burgemeister or the English who decided to do it in Dutch and not Afrikaans, who knows? Yeah. But, uh, that's just a very interesting one that it's got the, that the panels are actually written, written in Dutch. And then obviously there's a, there's another one, um, another little foot trick and memorial that was unveiled in 1938 during the great trick centenary again. Yeah. And, um, it's got a millstone on top of it. So it's like this, 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 the stone pyramid with a millstone. And on top of the millstone is a, is an ox wagon wheel. Okay. And the millstone comes from one of the very original, very, very early mission stations, a spot called Beersheba, which was run by the Paris Missionary Society. Again, that's one that we don't hear about often. Most we hear about the London Mission, Missionary Society, you know, the, the London Mission Society and the Scottish and the English were very involved in here. But you don't hear much about the Paris um, Missionary Society. And that was one of the very, very first yeah. Europeans north of the Orange, although now the Kharib River. And um, the four cornerstones, this is a very symbolic one. The four cornerstones come from the Fortricker Road, which is close to the town. Um, they've obviously got the Oxwagon trail marks, like, you know, like we've had the hits done so many times before where they actually had the Oxwagons and oxen walking through some wet concrete going on there. And the top of the, on top of the, the monument is an ox, Oxwagon, Oxwagon wheel. So it's just a, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a slightly different and slightly more interesting take on um the traditional idea of those of those monuments yes then again you go over a lot of the farfalat the fluctus and you eventually get into ruville oh yes ruville yeah uh, there's not <laughs> not no, there's not a, a heck of a lot going on in ruville and uh, <laughs> the only thing that's <laughs> There is again another 1938 Great Trek Memorial. You know, there's, there's, I don't know how many of the Great Trek Memorials, um, are actually in these, in these little towns. Yeah. But I, I need to divert ever so slightly off the N6 because I don't know if we're ever going to get to this other little town, just slightly off to the east. And there's a little town there called Zastron. Okay. Now, Zastron, again, doesn't have a whole heap that is, um, that, 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 that makes, that makes it famous. It's obviously got the normal Anglo Boer War Memorial. It's got a very, very strange rock formation called the Eye of Zastron, where if you stand at a certain time, you look up at the mountain, there's a crack in the rocks and you can see the sun shining through the cliff face. Okay. But there's a story that I love about Zastron. Is that the main street of Zastron is called Majosi Street, Majosi Street. Okay. Now, again, very, very unusual because Majosi, Sergeant, Sergeant Lucas Majosi was a World War II veteran. He was one of the people that volunteered to go fight in Europe in World War II. As a black guy okay. in South Africa, he got to the rank yeah. of sergeant, and because of the um, racial policies at the time, he wasn't allowed to serve 
as a frontline soldier, he wasn't allowed to be armed. Yeah. But you sort of became labor battalion or medical battalion or whatever it was. And the main street of Zastron is actually named after Lucas Majosi, which again is very unusual for apartheid South Africa to name the main street after a black man. And there's an arch, there's a beautiful arch across the, as you approach the town from the north and you're heading south, there's an arch over the, over the main road celebrating Sergeant Lucas Majosi. And he, he received the medal called the Distinguished Conduct Medal. Now the Distinguished Conduct Medal is sort of one or, one or two medals just below the Victoria Cross. Yeah. And again, one of a handful of colored people to receive the DCM. And he got it during the Battle of um, El Alamein, which was fought up in Libya in 1942. Okay. And it is the highest award received by any black serviceman or black South African soldier during the Second World War. Yeah. And he um, got it as a stretcher bearer. Okay. He, he ran around in the open, in the <laughs> desert, as a stretcher bearer, under fire, under cannon fire, under artillery fire, under machine gun fire, under rifle fire. He ran around with his buddy and collected wounded off the battlefield and brought them back. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, after the war, Majosi returned to Zastron. He served as a policeman. Okay. And he died there in uh, 1969. And uh, his medal, along with a portrait of him, has actually got a spot of honor at the... Ditsong Museum of Military History in Johannesburg. Oh, that's awesome. So he's the, <laughs> he's the, the highest awarded black colored, give it a name now, serviceman during World War II. And we've got him yeah. sitting in Joburg and he comes from Zastron. But I don't think that many that. people who drive into Zastron and see that Little archway. It's a little metal archway. If you go onto the app and look at the main photograph of Zastron, we've actually got that as the, as the little, as the introduction to Zastron. And I don't think many people realize exactly what went on there behind that story of Majosi Street in that little. Yeah. So I had, I had to do a little detour. I've always got to do detours off these main. Yeah. Road. I actually <laughs> watched, um, something on, I think it was on Netflix, uh, something similar in, uh, America. Also about this one uh, black guy that, uh, served in the army and so on. And he also got, uh, decades after his death, he received a medal of honor. So yeah, yeah that's very no, similar. Those, I just find those such inspirational <laughs> stories. I mean, and, and it's, it's kind of, it's a history that you just don't know yeah. about. And it's, people must hear it, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, but now you're, the next the next town that you're going to enter is the little town of Alawal North. And oh. you've actually got to cross, you, as you get, just as you get into the town, you cross over the uh, orange or now the Kharib, the Kharib River. And yes. It's, it's, and I mean, the Kharib is a major river. I don't know, for those of you who've ever traveled over it, it's a huge, it drains the, the orange or the orange of the Kharib river drains over 25% of South Africa. You know, it's <clears> a <throat> massive, massively important geological or 
geological, you know, geographical is the word, the geographical feature yeah. of South Africa. But there's a beautiful old historic bridge over the river. And uh, we've actually got two dots on that bridge because they've got two names. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the, the older... <laughs> The older bridge, well, like I say, it's got two names. There's actually two bridges there, but the old, the older bridge is what's called the Freer Bridge, F R E R E, and that was named okay. Sir Sir Henry Bartle Freer, who was the British High Commissioner of Southern Africa, 1877 to 1880, and it was actually his dream. Sir Bartle Freer actually was the initial guy who had this idea of a confederation of South African states. Yeah. And Theophilus Shepston actually annexed the Transvaal in 1877. I don't even remember on the N1 we go past that little Sand River Convention monument that we've spoken about. Yeah. The Sand River Convention of 1872 where Britain guarantees the independence of the of the free state and of the Transvaal, etc., etc., etc. Now we're only sitting in 1877. And by 1877, this whole idea of this confederation has taken root. And um, yeah. Freer and Lord Carnarvon. Lord Carnarvon was minister, I think, or no, sec- secretary, secretary of colonies. So, so Carnarvon, Lord Carnarvon, sits in London, and he's now chief in charge of all the colonies. And he gets this idea... Yes from Freer about this confederation in South Africa. They all think this is a really, really cool plan. And so the orders come down and Shepston then annexes the Transvaal. So this Freer character, this Freer bridge, if you really want to dig back, is probably the the spark of the Second Anglo, in fact, of both world wars. Yeah. And, and... That whole confederation dream of 1877 also wound up leading to the Anglo-Zulu War of 1879. Yeah. It's a whole different story. Now you've got Rokhsar <laughs> and you've got all that drama down around uh, just off, off um, to the east of Lady Smith. Yes. So Mr. Bartle Freer has got a um, kind of Kind of a lot to uh, answer for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a funny character, because Freer, I mean, he, he must have been held in some very, very high regard because he only accepted his post in Southern Africa if, if he could receive double, double the salary of his predecessor and that he gets a fancy title called Governor-General of the South African Confederacy. Greedy little bugger. Yeah, no, very cheeky little guy. So he never <laughs> he never actually fulfilled his post-title, because although he was called Governor-General of the South African Confederacy, he never made a confederation. It never yeah. materialized, because the British tried to, tried to the first confederation, the first Anglo-Burr War, and they got murdered at Majuba. So, <laughs> so it never really happened. And then he, so the yeah. confederacy never happened. And then, and then Freer was recalled by, uh, by Gladstone and, uh, he went back to the UK in 1880. So his little dream of that confederacy never, never actually came to, came to fruit. But, uh, yeah. the new bridge is called the General Hatsoff Bridge. So, yeah. uh, 
That one was constructed much later, nine, that was in 1937. Uh, the General J.B. J.B. M. Herzog was um, the Prime Minister of South Africa. He served <coughs> served in the in, in the government from sort of 1924 to 1939. He was generally he was a general in the Orange Free State during the Anglo Boer War. He was actually a lawyer. And uh, after the Union of South Africa, 1910, I mean, remember that you know 1902 we get the the Anglo Boer War peace treaty is signed. South Africa is administered as four separate regions, colonies, whatever you want to call. Yeah. It. 1910, we become a union. And, um, the union, the, 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 the prime minister then was uh, actually General Louis Boerta. But, um, Herzog, although he served in Boerta's government, was actually removed because he was so strongly nationalist. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, one of his characters in Herzog, interesting guy also, because he, he joined with General Jan Smuts at a point as well, and he formed what was called then the United Party. And in 1939, he was actually one of the, one of the voices who wanted South Africa to stay neutral during World War II. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people can understand as well. And um then eventually he resigned. He resigned out of politics when, when South Africa decided to actually go on the side of, of Great Britain. And um he eventually he he died in, in nineteen forty two. But Herzog I think is also one of these interesting guys who've got this interesting little thread thread through South Africa's history, through the Boer Wars, World War One, World War Two, you know, rising up to the rank of general, you 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 leave kind of kind of a, a serious serious footprint. Yeah, and then just as you come into as uh, as you come into Alawal North, the road takes a dogleg off down to the right to go down on the main road. But just just off that corner is um, again quite a quite a quite a important little monument for a guy by the name of Joe Nzingu Kabi. I think I got the click right. G Q A B I Kabi Kabi. My my tongue doesn't do that click properly. I've got to practice that. <laughs> and uh, he was actually president of the Af- African National Congress. Okay. So he was born in Alawal North. He became a member of the ANC in the early 1950s, <clears throat> and of course he joins the ANC and the Communist, the South African Communist Party were basically one and the same thing. So he yeah. joined the banned South African Communist Party, and he also he also at one stage was leader of the ANC's paramilitary wing, Umkonto Esizwe. Okay. And it's not a name that a lot of people know. And he was very involved with the 1976 student march in Soweto, that initial <coughs> uprising, or not uprising, protest against the use of Afrikaans in schools and the forced use of Afrikaans in schools. Yes. And um, he was also one of the chief defendants of what was called the Pretoria 12 trial based on the violence that occurred on June the 16th, 1976. That was obviously June the 16th um, was the day of that Soweto uprising and, cons- and subsequent shooting by the police and all the yes. drama that unfolded and that one. But he was acquitted. He was actually acquitted and he went into exile in Botswana. And um, he organized a lot of the MK, Umkonto Wasizwa operations into the then Transvaal. Yes. And 
probably why we never hear too much about him is in July 1981, he was shot in his house in Harare 19 times. 19 times. 19 times. A hit squad took him out in his house in Harare. Wow. And I don't think it's ever been cleared. Maybe it was clear during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but it was a hit squad. It was a South African hit squad that was sent to take this guy out. And he was given a a state funeral by President Robert Mugabe. Okay. So that's a monument to this guy because he came out of Alawal North. <clears throat> so yeah, so then we also obviously got the uh, the war memorial, and uh, yeah, it's just it's a general war memorial for the South Africans from East Africa, from North Africa, Egypt, Italy, Madagascar, Palestine. You know the South African air force all over the world, all over the place. So there's a there's a very very yeah. beautiful general war memorial in town there as well. And now we hit one or two of our. Blockhouses from that book that we've got on our app by Simon Green. And I think there's, I think there's three, I think there's three blockhouses dotted around Alawal North. And the interesting thing is that the blockhouses, it almost it was almost like there was a competition in the UK to see who could design the best or the worst or the hottest blockhouse. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, you can imagine a sodding great big thick concrete walls with a, with a corrugated iron roof baking in the middle of the crew in summer. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that thing must be sitting at 45, 48 degrees inside. You haven't got, oh, easily. you've got tiny little sh- loopholes to shoot out of. So there's no ventilation and stuff in these things. You know, so there's a couple of them dotted around Alawal North, which is really cool. And all three of them are diff- are slightly different, different designs. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, of two designs. There's two different designs. And it's the only, Alawal North is the only town in South Africa that's got three blockhouses still standing and of two separate designs. And the one of them is right in the middle of town and very, very easy to reach. It's just, okay. just, off, just off the main road. Yeah. The other one is just slightly off the main road in one of the, in, in one of the, um, this, the, in one of the suburbs. There's actually beautiful houses. Um, Right next door to it, but this one, that's, that's a, that, that one's still almost, almost complete. So if you're interested in the blockhouses, it's definitely a, a spot to go to is, is driving to Alawal North and you've got three different blockhouses to go and visit. But then of course, on the other side of this whole thing with the blockhouse of the Angaboo War, we've got a, one of the concentration camp memorials in Alawal North as well. And, um, Again, quite a, quite a bit of symbolism in this one is there's a memorial in town and it's again, it's right off, just off, just off the main road. So easy enough to get to. And there was a concentration camp in there in, in the town. And this memorial was constructed by the, what was used to be called the council and war graves. And the original tombstones are actually within a gallery in this building. And. Okay. There's a great big concrete, I don't know, it's almost like a kind of triangle kind of construction of the big sword on it, but it's got 
32 different squares on this main column. Okay. And I never knew this until I actually had a good read and look at this thing. But super, super symbolic because the war lasted for 32 months. Oh, okay. So they've got 32 squares on this memorial for the 32 months um, that the war lasted. And yeah. the, sword, the sword is on top of like a little triangle type thing, and that represents the tents that the woman had had to live in and, an, and in front of an open grave and caskets. I mean, very, very yeah. emotional kind of thing. And uh, Emily Hobhouse... This is one of the camps that Emily Hobbs was actually quite quite active in. And just to give you an idea, on by the end of October, October 1901, the camp records there showed that the camp reached the maximum capacity of 726 men, 1,622 women, and 2,395 children. Wow. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> Again... Uh, you know, you, 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 you read and you hear about these concentration camps and, but you never really quite understand the scale of this thing. Yeah. You know, and I did the blockhouses that one, there was one blockhouse that I think it's one of two on a farm down, down, down in the Western Cape that these are the remnants of 600 in one line. And there were lines and lines and different lines and more lines of these blocks wow. around the country. One of 600. Yeah. And the scale of this. But, uh, <coughs> but yeah, so also, again, as part of the memorial, there's also a little um, plaque to a guy by the name of Dr. Gustav Hoekster. And uh, he was... He was a medical officer for the Boers during the Anglo-Boer War, and he was the senior medical doctor for the Boers in the concentration camp. And um, he was one of the first doctors who actually vaccinated children, believe it or not. Okay. And the results are shown that his that his particular camp had a lot less less children percentage deaths than other camps because of his vaccination policy. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So again, kind of a kind of an interesting interesting little story on that one. But then then you're in six, you know, you now crossed you now crossed the Kharip and you're now heading down and you're in the Eastern Cape. And um just as you're about to intersect with one of the other main roads, the the the, the N six disappears down and you just before you get into a place called Jamestown it intersects with the R three forty four. There's a monument to a gentleman by the name of Mr. Low Weppener. Okay, yeah. Now, Low Weppener is a name that should be pretty well known in that um, the first gallantry award that South Africa had before the Honoris Crooks and before, and I thought, actually, I think it was the second one. I think the first one was called the Van Riebeek Medal. Was actually the Low Weppner decoration for bravery. Okay. So he's obviously again left some very, very big, big footprints. And he was a commandant. He was a free state. He was a um, 
commandant in, in, in the Orange Free State Army. Um, his father was from Prussia. And by the age of 15, he was orphaned. He received his education. His initial calling was to actually become his, um, become a minister. But his uncle said, no, no, that's not going to happen. And, uh, he just refused to send him off to Scotland because Lowe wanted to go to Scotland to become a, become a minister. But his uncle said, that's not happening. Yeah. And, uh, 1862, he goes and he moves off to, uh, Bethuli. And on the 18th of August, 1865, he actually died during the Battle of Tababosiu. Now, that's one of those battles okay. that we spoke about with Ohriki the cannon. Yeah, yeah. There we go. The, one of those Basutu wars. That That is where um, um that, that happened. And he, just reckless, reckless bravery. I mean, he actually charged. He charged into gunfire to go and um try and yeah take take over some Basutu strongholds that were behind some fortifications. And he charged yeah. the gunfire and it was didn't didn't work so well for him. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, Can a little, <laughs> and there's a little the little town of Vepener is actually named after him as well. Yeah. But anyway, in six we keep on going down through the mountains and we now hit a little town called Jamestown. Again, not much happens in Jamestown, but uh, there is again 1988 Great Trek Memorial. So, yeah, one of the 150th anniversary um, plaques is there. Now, now we start coming down through some serious mount- mountainous um, areas, and we skip exactly in between Dortrecht and Maltino, and we keep on coming down as or down, and I say down as south. Uh, and we then eventually get into Queenstown. Yes. And Queenstown is also, there's a 150th anniversary monument for Queenstown, not for the Great Trek this time, for Queenstown. Oh, and okay. Queenstown, Queenstown, also now also called Komani. Komani, the name Komani actually officially became the name of the town in 2016. Oh, Lord. And it's it's actually called the Rose Capital because of the large gardens, open spaces for flowers and stuff in South Africa. And yeah. it was one of these frontier towns that had a start as a military garrison. So George Cathcart in the Eastern Cape, you're talking frontier wars, you're talking expansion of the Cape Colony, you're talking the, the kickback by the Quasas moving down from the eastern side, etc. And... um Cath, you know, Governor Sir George Cathcart wanted a settlement in the area, so he puts a little fort there, and the fort was called Fort Victoria. And that's where this whole thing started, and it started as a little hexagon, and there's a little little spot in town called Hexagon Square. If you look at the, the road plan from the top, you'll see the middle of town is a hexagon. And oh, okay. that, that still comes from those old frontier days where it... Um, where it was a fort, where it was actually a fort. Yeah. So okay, that's it was a, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting little little road plan if you if you actually have a look at it. And right in the middle of this, I mean, as you come into town, you've got the little traffic circle, and on the traffic circle is like little spokes of this hexagon that go out into the rest of the town. There's the Anglo yeah. War Memorial. And um Again, you know, and 
I, I always love the contrast here because now we're in British territory in the Anglo Boer War. So these are now memorials to the colonials fighting on the, on the English side against the Boers. Yeah. And not the Boer commanders fighting against the English. <laughs> yeah. So again, and you can see it in the design of these memorials. It's just a, it's just a whole different feel to them. Yeah. So, so you got a monument there to the, you got a monument there to the Cape, Cape colonials. You got a little way off toward down towards the railway station. You got a first world war memorial. Um, a lot of the men, men of the town volunteered to fight there. You got a little Queenstown and Frontier Museum, which is quite, quite a cool little spot. And you, we're not talking what we called settler country, 1820 settlers. The 1820 settlers were brought into this, the start in, in this area to try and settle this whole border area. So you've got this mix of British immigrant settler history mixed in with the Kozas. And the Kozas, of course, massively famous for their military, for their beadwork, most beautiful beadwork and stuff. And all of that is is now showcased in this little museum in town. So I mean, it's really worth going going in there and and have a looking at it. But then you also got a little monument outside there called the Morosi Rebellion and Basutu Gun War Memorial. Okay, now this is this is kind of a kind of a complicated story because you've got a, a, an event that is called the Morosi Rebellion of 1879 and the Basutu Gun War of 1818, 1880-1881. So you've got all the names of the fallen on this little memorial. Now, Morosi was a Baputi chief in the southern parts of Lesotho, and he led a revolt against the Cape Colony in 1879. So the Cape Colony gets going with this, and one can only imagine the negotiations that had to happen because the Cape Colony now gets an alliance with the guy that named King Letsi of the Basutu. So now you've got King Letsi of the Basutu fighting Morosi, also is a Basutu. And eventually Morosi, Morosi gets captured, defeated, and gets beheaded. Oh. Lovely. So two years later, here we go again to Bartle Freer, a little cheeky character um, from our last story. Yeah. Yes. Gets a bee in his bonnet and demands that all the Basutu now surrender their arms. Now, if we go into South African politics today with them trying to disarm the public. You go into U.S. politics today with them trying to disarm the U.S. public. Yeah. It doesn't go around too well. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and this was all part of Bartle Freer. Bartle Freer, this guy, still got this confederation idea, etc., etc. And he's somewhere in his head got this idea that he wants to put settler communities in what was then called Basutu land. Now, Basutu, yes. had all, Basutu has always been independent. It was a nation formed because of Shaka and Shaka's expansion. Refugees fled from Shaka. Eventually, all these guys come together in the mountains, and basically, no one could get them out of the mountains. And that's how Lesotho 
kept there independent because nobody could get them out of there. They would lie on top of the, yeah. top of the mountain, roll rocks down on the guys coming to attack them, and nobody could <laughs> conquer them. That's basically what happened. And that yeah. all under um, under the leadership of King Mosheshwe. So Freya gets a bean of bonnet. He says, no, we're going to disarm all the Basutu because we want to settle Basutu land. And uh, it just, yeah, I don't know how how he was thinking. But, you know, since since the 1870s, Basutu land was sort of half under the control of England, but not quite. They could never really yeah. it. And the Basutus were independent, but they sort of had this agreement that Britain would do the international relations and that kind of stuff. You know, kind of a... But the Basutu, anyway, they, they decide that they're not, they're not going to give up their guns and open rebellion breaks out. So this now becomes known as the Basutu gun war. And the Basutu actually beat the British. So the Basutu actually beat a, a British cavalry unit at a place called Mafateng. Oh, yeah. That's, that's when the Cape governor decides, no, 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 he's not going to, he's not going to fight. No one has got the Basutus out of Lesotho ever. The British tried, the Boers tried, the Zulus tried, the Klozas tried, all sorts of people tried to beat the Basutus. No one's ever beaten the Basutus. You can't. Yeah. You can't haul guys out of the mountains. So, uh, eventually they then decide, okay, we're not gonna, not gonna do anything here. And eventually the cost of breaking those rebellions and stuff just became too much. And the Cape Colony eventually decides, no, 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 this is, this is, this is a really bad plan, terribly sorry. And in 1881, the Basutus were allowed to keep their guns. And uh, <laughs> so then eventually, 1881, Basutu land gets returned to what they called, they called it a crown colony status, okay? And yeah. it's placed under the protection of the British Empire, but not as an extension of the Cape Colony. I think it's a nice play of words to try and keep face. <laughs> but, uh, <Yeah. laughs> but just a nice, a nice little aside that none of the British also couldn't beat the Basutus. And get them out of out of Lesotho. Yeah, I just, I just, I just, I just love that. They just, they just, they, 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 they just couldn't do it. Nobody could actually. You got it out of there. Yeah, you just have to love it. <laughs> yeah. But then the N6 carries on, and so it's a very, very windy road through some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, countryside, and eventually you get to the little town of Stutterheim. And okay. Stutterheim. And it's an interesting part of the country because we're literally just outside of East London now. And there's all sorts of little spots as you're coming down or as you're coming along the coast from, from the north and you get into this, what we call sort of the, the front, the frontier region. You see all sorts of German names popping up. Yeah. And in East London, there's actually a memorial to the German settlers. And that's obviously where all these names come from. And in Stutterheim, I mean, the reason we're in Stutterheim right now is again, there's a, there's a war memorial for all the men that's, that fell during, during the, the world wars in, in Stutterheim. But the most interesting part of this to me is that it's such a, such a colonial story in that, and unrelated to South Africa, 1857 or 1856, I think it was, you got the Crimean War. So 
So Britain okay. and Russia are now busy beating each other up in the Crimea. Britain hasn't got enough, enough, enough troops and soldiers to actually successfully fight this war. So they start employing, in effect, what are mercenaries. So a whole yeah. lot of Germans sign up. A whole lot of Germans sign up with mercenaries to fight on the side of the British against the Russians. <laughs> and, uh, and, and part of the, part of their deal, believe it or not, part of their deal is that should they survive this, they're going to get a farm in Africa. Yeah. So, lo and behold, these guys survive, survive the war. They get put on a ship or ships various and they get dumped down in what was down East London. Yeah. So these guys then sally forth into what is now the sort of the frontier country. And hence we get all these German names like Sutterheim. Yeah. Because these are German mercenaries that are now coming in and settling in the frontier region. <laughs> yeah. But the other sort of kind of slightly cuter part of the story is you've now got this whole bunch of, of, um, bachelor soldiers that come out and forge themselves a new life in South Africa. And they get lonely. Yeah. <laughs> so they eventually send a request to the governor and say, listen, buddy, make a plan here. You know, we're looking for wives. Yeah, we want some Bura Pompey. Yeah, so we, we want we want some company here. So the letter goes off to the British colonial secretary and uh Lo and behold, he manages to convince a whole lot of Irish ladies <laughs> to to escape Ireland. I mean, Ireland, potato, famine, poverty, you know, come on. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> a little while later, ship <clears throat> shipload of Irish ladies arrives in East London. <clears throat> and uh, that was the start of the settler community. Good, strong German um mercenaries along with Irish farm girls and they forged a whole new community there in the Eastern Cape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in East London, in East London, I mean after Stuttgart, basically you we're gonna hit East London. I will have to talk about East London some others at some other point. But uh there's a beautiful statue on the beachfront in East London that actually yeah. commemorates the arrival of the German settlers. And it's uh okay. it's actually a very, very nice it's actually a very, very, very beautiful statue. Yeah. It's um it's a sort of the this this guy with a woman and a child standing there staring sort of off into the distance. Um sort of lo- obviously looking looking at their looking at their future. Yeah. And uh I just I always just love travelling that area when you see these little little Stuttgart and Stuttgarts and I don't know what other names yeah. there. Unfortunately, a lot of that area, a lot of those names disappeared because now we're talking the formation in this area of what is what was eventually to become the homeland of the Siskai. So a lot of those okay. little towns and the little the real German settlements and German missionary stations and that a whole lot of that culture was lost when they were yeah. places were expropriated and um, so sort of formed into what was then to become the the Siskai area. Yeah. But yeah, so there's, there's our, there's our N6 and the N6 eventually hits into, into East London and joins the N2. And I think we've successfully covered the N2. Um, yeah. 
That was a long one. That's a, that's the longest highway in the N the N six. It's an interesting one. It covers some really interesting history and some beautiful parts of South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've definitely uh, did. I think we did two or three. I think I think the, I think the N two took three took three episodes or four 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 episodes for us to cover the N2. yeah. That was a long drive. That was driving all the way from Cape Town right up through, right up through KZN. And I think it's, I think the N2, the N2 finishes, I think it's in Ermelo. Yeah. Then, yeah. It ends in Ermelo, just, just sort of on a, on a level with Eswatini, Swaziland. Yeah. But yeah. So I think that's it for this week. I think that is a good, interesting, interesting bits and pieces there. And I think I made you giggle once or twice as well. Oh, yeah. It was a good one. That <laughs> was awesome. Well. Cool. Yes, and uh, to those listening, join us for the next one. Awesome stuff, guys. Until we until we chat again. Cheers, bye.